Well, welcome. I am so glad you got welcome. Thank you. Interactive, yeah. Two of you are awake. Man. I am glad you're here today at the Orchard, however you're joining us here in the building, online, wherever you may be. And uh, today, you have come on the right Sunday. Amen. I'm going to wait till you tell you, I tell you what I'm talking about. I'm talking about sin today. Woo! Yeah, and, and just to make it lighthearted, I went online and, and I typed in Google, I put um, sin, sermon, joke. And a bunch of articles came up that told me how um, you shouldn't use jokes in your sermon because it's a sin. And you guys know me. I don't like to, to sin or joke much at all, and so I left the jokes out of it. But here we are in the middle of this John series, and we are coming down to the end. We don't have many weeks left as we go through the book of John. We've been following Jesus for over a year now and learned so many things. And today we are at a, a very important place. And I'm going to jump right in here on John 18, verse 12. It says this, Then a detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Last week we were in the Garden of Gethsemane. We were seeing what Jesus was doing there. And now he's been arrested and he's taken out and he's brought to the high priest. And that's where we pick up this week. Um, as Jesus is on trial, it's a, it's a kangaroo court, it's a, it's, a, it's a mock trial. I mean, they're just making up stuff, they have false witnesses. But it's here in this, in this section that we read the famous passage about Peter's denial. And I want to go into that and look at Peter and who he is. Before we jump right into the narrative, though, let's look at who this person is. It's, it's important to remember who Peter is and not just, oh, Peter the denier, the betrayer. Peter was bold. He was a man of action. Peter, when, you know when you read the temperaments of people in the Bible? I read Peter and I go, well, that, I, I, I can see myself doing that. And he puts his foot in his mouth a lot. He says things he shouldn't say. You know, his wife elbows him a lot during conversations. I get it, uh, right? We understand Peter. Um, he, he's a quick talker. He's prone to become emotional at different moments. But Peter takes his faith very seriously, and combined with his fiery personality, Peter gets himself into a lot of situations that the other disciples don't find themselves in, for good and bad. Peter jumps out of perfectly good boats to walk on water. He gets to experience some amazing things. Peter's the first one to verbalize that, Jesus, we believe you are the Messiah. And let's not forget that Peter is beloved by Jesus. He's one of the three, the three closest disciples to Jesus. Peter, is in, he gets individual time, individual mentorship as, as he will get pulled away with Jesus and, and get some time with him. Peter saw extraordinary things. Peter was present on the Mount of Transfiguration. He was one of the three that got to go there, and he saw the prophet Elijah and prophet Moses come down. He saw Jesus transfigured into all his glory with his face shining like the sun Peter saw all the miracles. Peter was, saw people healed. He saw, he saw the dead raised. Peter was a man of deep and bold faith and fiery personality, uh, verbal, prone to action. And remember just earlier, he had been in the meal, the Passover meal with Jesus a few hours before this. And he, Jesus told him, he said, this very night you will all fall away on account of me. And Peter declared, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. Almost like, Jesus, if all these other dudes, if they take off, you can count on me. 
And Jesus responds to this bold claim. I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter, it has, this, it says, it's, it has an exclamation point. No, he insisted. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. I will choose death over denial. And Peter's not just making bold claims. He, he goes on to back this up. When the soldiers arrive to arrest Jesus, these, there, there's temple soldiers, there's Roman soldiers. What does he do? He pulls out his sword ready to fight, ready to die for Jesus. He, he, he defends Jesus with an inaccurate and unpracticed sword slice, cuts off somebody's ear. He's determined. He's full of adrenaline. He's ready to fight. I mean, he's going to take them all on. He steps forward. Peter's ready to die. He, he promised it. He's ready to do it. And it's at this moment, full of adrenaline, full of emotion, ready to die, ready to fight, Jesus rebukes him. No more of this. Jesus says, put your sword back in its place. Don't you know I can call on my father and he will put once at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? Peter standing there with a sword with blood on it, breathing hard, ready to fight, ready to die. And Jesus says that um, it has to happen this way. This must have been a very confusing moment for Peter. Jesus wants to get arrested. Jesus, he, he doesn't want me to fight. He, he doesn't want me to, to, to fight for him. He's rebuked as he's doing his best to defend Jesus. He's rebuked for, for being willing to fight, being willing to die, just as he stated he would. He watches Jesus then give himself up and be led away in chains. Now what? You know, Peter, for the first time, perhaps for the first time, he's, he's hesitant. He's confused on what to do. Peter has followed Jesus for three years on, on, on dusty roads, on choppy waters, through miracles, through conflicts. Peter has always followed. But for the first time, Peter flees. All the disciples, they all run. They all leave Jesus as he's led away. But Peter, after some soul searching, after he catches his breath, true to his personality, he circles back around. Luke twenty two fifty four. Then seizing Jesus, they led him away and took him to the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. It's interesting, he falls at a distance. He, he, Peter's impulsive, he's loyal, but, but he's bewildered. He's confused. He's, he's following this procession. It's, it's nighttime. There's, there's a lot of people. It would be easy to, to follow without being noticed. But following at a, at a distance, this had to be strange for Peter. You see, Peter had always followed Jesus right behind him, right next to him. Peter was on the inside he wasn't used to following at a distance. He wasn't used to not having the access to Jesus. He hadn't experienced this before. Jesus gave him his identity and instruction and guidance. And now he hesitantly like skulks behind following, not knowing what to do. What should he do? And I just want to say, I say it so often as we read the Bible. Uh, we know the ending, spoiler, like we, we kind of know some things, but put yourself in it. Live this moment. If you were Peter, what would you do? What would you do? 
I mean, should Peter run in there and say, it's me. I'm with him. Take me too. Should he pull his sword out and just keep fighting? Should he run away with the others? Like, what should Peter do? What would his rabbi tell him to do? It was his rabbi who'd called him out onto the water. If only Jesus could tell me what to do, but, but Jesus does not. And so he follows at a distance and he watches and they get to the house of the high priest. And as we see here that it wasn't just Peter who, after he fled, circled back around to follow. It says Peter and another disciple were following Jesus because this disciple was known to the high priest he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. Peter follows Jesus as well as a, quote, another disciple. This other unnamed disciple that went with Jesus, or he was able to go in with Jesus where Jesus was in the courtyard because he was known to the high priest. And many theologians, and theologians, and I agree with them, believe this to be John. John often inserts himself in these stories, but he never names himself outright. This, this follows John's pattern. If it is John, he's known by the high priest and he gets access entryway into the courtyard. John 18, verse 16. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back and spoke to the servant girl on duty there and brought Peter in. John comes from the inside and talks to the servant girl. The Greek here talks about she's the one who kept the door. She's the doorkeeper. She's the person that lets people in and out. And John vouches for Peter. Hey, it's okay, he can come in. But right here at this gate, as she's letting him in, something happens. Probably that Peter didn't expect or wasn't prepared for. The other disciple who was known to the high priest came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there and brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. And it's something I've overlooked time and time again. In her question, as I was reading this again, it says, she asked, you aren't one of, her, of this man's disciples too. The word meaning also. Which makes me think that perhaps, perhaps John had identified himself as a disciple of Jesus. Are you also one of this man's disciples? Like John, who's vouching for you? To which Peter replies, I, I am not. Not me. Just strolling through what? three in the morning, wanting to get in a courtyard. For whatever reason, right as he's entering, he hastily answers, no, I am not. Now, Peter was willing to fight Roman soldiers 30 minutes ago. Peter was slicing people with a sword. And here we see him buckling under the, the weight of this servant, young servant girl who just asks, are you one of them too? He just wants to gain entrance. John tells us where Peter goes next. It was cold, and the servants and the officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. So Peter's now inside the courtyard, warming himself around the fire with the servants and the officials and some soldiers, and he can see the proceedings somewhat inside. We assume he can't make out all the words, but I'm guessing he could hear some of the louder sounds and what he's looking at, what he's trying to listen to as he's there by the fire is, is this, this, this mockery of a trial of Jesus with false witnesses. 
Jesus would have been just inside and, and it would connected to the courtyard, held by prisoners and numerous priests and religious elders. Mark tells us that the whole Sanhedrin was present. The Sanhedrin is the ruling body of priests. It was the great Sanhedrin, which means there was 71 priests. What are the odds they all showed up at this early morning together? This was planned. This was a premeditated strike. This was working just as they had wanted. They had all planned to be there, gathered, waiting for Jesus to be brought in. And he was brought in to their delight. They are there tonight to see this deed done. They wanted to do it swiftly. It's Passover. Get it done and put Jesus of Nazareth, put the whole thing in the past. Mark and Matthew tell us, at the end, they end up blindfolding Jesus. Take turns slapping him and saying, prophesy to us. Prophesy, who hit you? Oh, you're a prophet? Who hit you? Just tell us who hit you. Laughing, having fun. We know by a clue that we'll discuss later on, Peter could see this. Peter could see Jesus. Perhaps even hear the shouts and the yells and maybe even the, the strikes and the blows. Jesus is, is right there in his field of vision, getting mocked and humiliated, pummeled, and Peter outside sitting at the fire with the officials and the servants and the guards. The flames are flickering. They light the guards' faces and the people around him. They light his face. You've been at a campfire, the snapping of wood, the, the warmth on your fingertips, the warm on your face, but, but Peter, he's not mentally present right there at that fire I would guess that Peter is straining with everything in him to, to make out what is going on just across the courtyard. Try not to make it too obvious that he's watching. You can see commotion and guards pushing Jesus around. Can you imagine what he's thinking? Like, should I just go in there? Should I go in? Should I just go die with him? It's hard to imagine what was going through his heart and mind in this moment, but, but we can imagine that his heart is beating. He is, he's confused. He's scared. He's, he doesn't know what to do. They get tired of slapping Jesus and they get, begin just to beat him and he hears the thuds, the cheers. It wasn't supposed to go like this. Can you imagine his thoughts? This is not how it goes. Hours ago, we, he was praying for us in the garden. Hours before that, he was washing my feet. He rode in on a donkey. Like people were cheering him on, and this is not, it's not supposed to go like this. And the question, what should I do? What should I do? Peter's intense focus, focus at the fire, trying to make out what's happening across the courtyard is broken by this, this small feminine voice of another servant girl who speaks directly to him. Aren't you with him? John 18, 25. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? And he replies again, I am not. And this time Matthew tells us there's a lot more vehemence with it. He answers this second question with an oath and Hebrew oaths carried a lot more weight than some of ours, but this showed that Peter wanted to go big here. He wanted to put this thing at rest. I don't know what oath he uttered, but in our nomenclature, it would be something like, I swear to God, I don't know the man. He wants to cut off all conversation. She walks off and his nerves are shot. 
Can you imagine how shaken he is? He's not only shaken by what's happening in there, but he's, he's denied Jesus twice. And it was just a servant. It, they're just, just servant girls. It's not that big a deal. The important thing is that I'm here. Just act normal. And the small talk around the fire ensues as people come and go. And he's, he's, he's just trying not to be obvious. He's just trying to make out what's happening. But it gets worse for Peter because right here, one of the servants, while the other servants were guessing at who he is, someone shows up and, and, and knows who he is. One of the priests, one of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him, saying, didn't I see you with him in the garden? Hey, wait a second. I know you. You cut off my cousin's ear. Oh, I'd recognize you anywhere. He's caught. An eyewitness from the garden recognizes him. And, and, and Matthew and Mark both tell us, because John just says he denied it. Mark and Matthew both tell us that he called down a curse and swore. He's denied. He's said it with an oath. Now he's called down a curse. And at this third denial, it says, just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. Can you imagine the, the wave of bitterness? The sinking of the stomach that he felt as he heard that. There's one tidbit here that Luke adds that I just had to put in. And for me, it, it drives home just how much this moment would have broken Peter. This one little tidbit that only Luke mentions. You have to remember Luke was the one who came later and he wrote his gospel and the book of Acts by interviewing eyewitnesses, by interviewing different people. And, and I can't prove this, but based on Luke's gospel and the book of Acts and how he speaks about Peter and uh, how Peter does, I believe that at some point Luke sat down with Peter and interviewed him. And I believe this, this next line is, is almost all the proof we need. And I bet in this interview, I bet Peter delivered this with tears. Luke twenty two sixty one. I believe only Peter could have added this. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Jesus is in the middle of an interrogation. He's being beaten. He's being mocked. He's, his lips are probably bloody. His ears are ringing. Amidst all the chaos that Jesus is facing, he turns from his accusers in that moment and looks straight into Peter's eyes. Turns away and looks straight at him. And Jesus and Peter both experiencing their own turmoil. Jesus' face is lit by the torches Peter's face is illuminated by the fire pit and, and their eyes lock across the courtyard. And for Jesus, a moment of compassion. And for Peter, a moment of horror. My, my Lord, my Messiah, I've betrayed you three times as it washes over him. And at this moment, Peter lets down all his attempts to fit in and be disguised. And he stands up and just stumbles out the gate and flees. Can you imagine this moment for Peter? 
All the three, three gospels report right here at this moment that Peter went outside and he whipped, wept bitterly. The words here in the language, they, they, they tell us that Peter mourned deeply his betrayal. He was grieved in his soul that he had disowned his savior. He lamented his unfaithfulness to his Messiah. This was no controlled cry. This is the, the doubled over ugly cry, uncontrollable. This is that heart of Peter shrieking with regret. A man in the street yelling in his, no, no. Just broken. He had betrayed his savior. Wailing, lamenting, mourning his sin, the deep regret that he has betrayed Jesus, the shame that was upon him, the burden of that. And from here, from here, the high priest, they declare Jesus worthy of death and they condemn him to execution. And they gather the evidence and the false witnesses and they, they send Jesus to, to Caiaphas and then Pontius Pilate, who, and Pilate does have the power to execute him. And that's where we'll pick up for next week. And I'm so tempted to tell you the rest of Peter's story that it doesn't end like this. But that's going to come on a future week. And so we leave this here in this pre-dawn darkness with Peter, knees buckled, just weeping in remorse that he has betrayed Jesus. And I want to pause for one second and contrast Peter's betrayal and his remorse with someone else this night who also betrayed and who also feels remorse. Continue. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. They, they bound him. They led him away to be handed over to Pilate the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned... He was seized with remorse. He returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. I have sinned. I have betrayed innocent blood. At the ver in the very same radius, likely within in a mile, in the very same area, at the very same moment, at the very same night, we have two disciples both weeping in remorse for their betrayal of Jesus. Peter weeping bitterly at his betrayal. Judas, it says, seized with remorse at his betrayal. Both disciples had sinned. Both had chosen what was best for themselves in the moment. Both had proven unfaithful to Jesus when it counted most. And Peter, over the next 24 hours, as I just put myself in his shoes and thought, this would be his darkest. Because you see, he doesn't get the chance to make it right. He doesn't get to go to Jesus and throw himself at his feet before Jesus is tortured and executed. He has to watch Jesus die knowing that the last moments they had together was that look across the courtyard at his moment of betrayal. I believe Peter's just broken in sin. But I'll say this, the next chance Peter gets, we find him running toward Jesus as fast as he can. So fast it tells us he beats the other disciple there. The next chance he gets we find him running toward Jesus. 
In his guilt, in his sin, in his shame, in his betrayal, he runs towards Jesus, not away. But Judas took a different path. Judas, also full of remorse, it tells us, also knowing he's betrayed Jesus, but in his sin, he chooses to move further away from God. He compounds his sin through further sin and eventually takes his own life. Two disciples, both guilty of betrayal, both feeling remorse, both taking very different paths in the wake of their sin. Peter moves toward Jesus, full of sorrow. Judas moves away from Jesus, full of shame. And the distinction of their actions, the distinction of their actions after their sin, what they did afterward completely changed their path and their destiny. In Orchard, we learn a few very difficult truths through this. First and foremost, we should not judge Peter too harshly at all. You see, each of us chooses what is best for ourselves at times over what God would have for us. Each of us gives in to temptation. Like Peter, like Judas, we deny Jesus by our actions. Some of us deny Jesus by the very way we talk. The Bible is clear in Romans 3.33, all have sinned. All fall short of God's glorious standard. Oh, we can't judge Peter too harshly here. We stand on equal footing with him. Sin is the action of fallen people in a fallen world. Each of us has denied Jesus by our actions. The question is, in the aftermath of your sin, do you move towards Jesus or do you move further away from Jesus? Do you take the path of Peter and in your sorrow run to him or in the path of Judas in your shame run from him? The path of Judas into more and more sin is one that is well worn by humanity. But the repentant path of, of Peter, Peter the betrayer, it leads to a beautiful moment that we'll see later. Peter the betrayer, that's not how he goes down in history. You see, he's restored. And he goes on to proclaim Jesus, and he is Peter the bold. Both of these disciples felt remorse. But the difference wasn't what they felt. The difference was that Peter fully repented. And, and I looked in the dictionary, and one of the definitions in the dictionary for repentance is a feeling of remorse. But if that were the case, then Judas repented. They both had remorse. Repenting of sin is more than just feeling remorse. It is turning from that sin and moving forward differently. Feeling remorse is part of it, but there must be a turning from the sin and moving toward Jesus and what he has for you. My question to you this morning, looking at these two disciples, both who betrayed Jesus, and knowing that there are places in my life and in your life where we also betray Jesus, what do we need to do this morning? This, this morning is, a, is an opportunity for us to take sort of an, like an inventory of those places where we have chosen ourselves or we have chosen betrayal. And perhaps it's a secret sin, a pet sin that no one else sees and therefore 
it's really not hurting anybody, right? You see, the path of Judas leads to more sin and more sin and compounds the sin. The path of Judas leads to death of dreams and could lead to death of marriages and hope and much more. The path of Peter leads to restored life, reborn dreams, rebirth of hope, and into a hope and a purpose and a calling ahead. And my hope this morning, my desperate prayer this week, isn't that we would talk about sin where we've missed the mark and you guys would feel bad about it. That's not what I want. It's not what God wants. Just to come to church to feel bad? Sign me up, man. There's something in Peter. As he wept about his sin, but he ran to Jesus. When it comes to feeling bad, I heard a quote. Satan knows your name, but calls you by your sin. Jesus knows your sin, but calls you by your name. And he calls you to a greater purpose, a greater destiny. He calls you forward into something, into a life, a full life. He calls you to forgiveness. He calls you to grace. He calls you with mercy. And here's something I needed to know today, something glorious, that, that, that there is no one in this place or listening who has out-sinned God's grace. And some of you are very accomplished at sinning. You, you're really, man... You have not gone so far that God's grace cannot reach you. God's grace is obscene. And I use that word in the most beautiful way because his grace is so lavish, so extravagant, so boundless that whatever sin you find yourself in or dealing with or in the aftermath of your past, his grace can overwhelm it. And in his grace, he calls you to forgiveness. He doesn't want you defined by your sin. He wants you defined by his love and grace. Jesus died on the cross, rose from the grave, and that was the ransom, the price for your life and for your sins. And, and he doesn't want you to leave today going, oh man, that was just brutal. I am terrible. You leave today saying, you are, you are beautiful. You are worthy. You are glorious. Because the worst of my sin, your grace has overcome There's two responses today. And for many of us during communion, as you hold the elements of Jesus' death, his death, his body and blood broken, that before you, before you partake, you just say, Jesus, forgive me for my, my gossip, my lust, my anger. You go, whatever it would be in your life that you go through and just, Jesus, forgive me. And for others of you here today, you need to come to Jesus as a savior, maybe for the first time, to know that he can take your sin, all of your sin, all of your past, and leave it at the cross. And if that's you today, I want you to pray with me out loud. Jesus, I need you. And take my life. Take my sin. I know you lived and died and rose again, I give you my heart. Holy Spirit, fill me. 
John, our author today, he continued to write in another letter. He said this, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful, he is just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. In Acts 3.19, it says, repent and turn to God so your sins can be wiped out in times of refreshing can come from the Lord. Oh, I want to encourage you today to look at these two disciples. Both betrayed Jesus by their actions, and I'm in the boat with them. I betrayed Jesus by my actions. The question is, do I go toward Jesus or run from him? Let's take communion. Let's thank him for his forgiveness. And they're going to stand and sing a song, and it says, I can see the look in your eye. And I want you to imagine during that line, I want you to imagine Peter looking in the eyes of Jesus because I want you to know something. God doesn't doesn't wear a frown for you. He wears a smile. He offers grace. So Jesus, we thank you that your grace is so powerful. You took the victory from sin and death. And in this room today, I pray that you would deal with this tenderly, but honestly, because Father, there is many of us in here stuck in private sin that no one will ever see that you're calling us out of. I pray you give us the courage to go toward you. Hear our worship in Jesus' name, amen.